0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare
1: and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Hi, welcome to another episode of Digital Voices. So excited to have you join us again. I'm with Amy Hayman's from MadPow, and we're going to talk all about Human centered design and the criticality of design in everything that we do across health and life sciences, which includes the providers and the patients and the payers and retail and tech. And so, really excited about that conversation. And it reminds me of one of the best experiences I had in school. So, when I got my graduate degree, there was a lot of turmoil happening at my university. And ultimately, the chancellor of the university being really aggravated with five specific departments that refused to go back to their natural colleges from which they came from a few years prior, put them all together. And I was on this fast track one year program for my graduate degree. So suddenly I found myself taking classes in apparel design, interior design, fashion merchandising, uh, housing, consumer science. I got five master's degrees in one year as a result. And I didn't think I'd ever need to use all the design principles I was learning and I sort of filed them away, but man, now that I'm into my career a little bit and met people like Amy and MadPow, I'm realizing just how critical design really is to the overall experience. And so we're going to dig deeper into that a little bit here in the next few minutes. So I love working with Amy. If you haven't heard of Amy or MadPow, you need to look them up as I mentioned, leaders in design, thinking, especially in healthcare and also in finance. And so we're going to talk a bit with Amy about all that. So Amy, welcome to our podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Ed. I'm really excited.
1: So Amy, the standard question we ask all of our guests, the first one is your favorite music. So like when you're just chilling, you got some downtime, what kind of music do you listen to?
0: Oh, wow. I have a sort of um, very varied and diverse (laughs) music interest. So from (laughs) hip hop to belly dancing music to Christian rock to jazz to Sinatra, just depends on the day, depends on the mood.
1: Yeah, that's nice. I like all of that. So the other question we ask, just so everyone gets a sense about who Amy is, is do you operate by some sort of personal mantra or life message message? purpose you know is there something that your true north
0: it's a good question it's so many things it's um you know if if i feel like i can make an impact in just one person's life i will suffer any order of uh of um you know terrible things so (laughs) i'm basically a masochist and i'll do whatever it takes to um to do things that are good and uh, make an impact in this world, but specifically in, in the health arena, um, ex- extremely passionate about improving health outcomes and health experiences and, and doing so in a way that, that also is beneficial to the organizations, uh, in the health ecosystem. So that's where I sort of bring that desire for impact, uh, into action.
1: now that's awesome. And Amy, tell us your story. So, Did you grow up thinking one day I want to lead Mad a Design Firm or how did you get to where you are today?
0: Yeah, sure. So I was always uh, creative minded, loved art Uh, in high school. I did a great deal of design and I wanted to go to art school. And so I went to art school and focused in graphic design and painting, sculpture. But I also took calculus. Um, So you know, I, I really loved sort of left-brain analytical thinking and then, you know, right-brain creative um, sort of thing. And I left college and started my career in the dot-com boom and uh, started doing web design. So I took my graphic design uh, degree, everything I had learned about visual design and graphic arts and, and took it to the web. Started designing websites and coding and, uh, you know, quickly learned that. It's not just about how things look. Um, if, if they're beautiful, that that matters uh, because people, you know, interpret. Okay, I'm using something that's high end. You know, the better it's designed. But uh, I knew that things needed to be useful and usable as well. And so I started to learn about research and usability testing and become very passionate about ensuring that what I was designing. Was going to resonate with the target audience. Was going to be um, was going to be good for them. Was going to be beneficial for them. And so that's where I got sort of into user experience and, and human centered design, cleaning up the World Wide Web, uh, inventing new digital products, and really looking after again the needs of the people served by the by the digital experiences, but also the business, ensuring that we were not just creating um, shiny objects gratuitously, but (laughs) ensuring that they were gonna make the business impact that we
1: were hoping. Yeah, and that sort of leads me to my next question and that's why is design so critical? So as you mentioned, some of it is related to the outcomes. And a lot of times people just don't think about design right away. It may not be intuitive to them. Why are some other reasons that design is critical to success for any organization, especially in healthcare, reaching out and being focused on experience?
0: Well, everybody knows that good design is table stakes, right? We've experienced great experiences as consumers, whether it's uh, Amazon ordering something and then it lands on your doorstep or you know, DoorDash, you get your, your meal to your door in, in 30 minutes or you get where, um, you know, the, the iPhone, um, how easy that is, how how um, well designed that is. So, you know, everybody wants good design, uh, but what what we see is that, you know, there isn't consensus in terms of what it takes to get to good design. What kind of team does it take? What does it take? What kind of budget, uh, you know, does it take to get there? Um, but we know that, you know, as I mentioned before about um, making sure that digital experiences are useful, usable, desirable, an experience somebody has with an organization isn't just about the digital aspects, right? Those digital touch points are so important. They need to be seamless, intuitive, streamlined, etc. cetera. Um, but we need to kind of take a step back and broaden the lens and look at, okay, how does somebody get from point A to point B? How do they weave through the experience? What's the journey? Um, you know, Who are they talking with? Um, what are the emails they're getting? Are they going into the physical environment? Are they visiting the hospital? What does that end-to-end interaction look like? And you find that digital is important. It's a thread through everything, but it's not the only piece. We need to look at the policies, the processes, Um, How the organization is constructed, you know, from the inside out to generate these good experiences. What's the culture like, et cetera. So uh, I lead MadPow as a chief experience officer, and we look after creating awesome digital experiences, but also looking at creating great service experiences, improving the way that organizations understand and react to the needs of the people that they serve. And so, um that that's absolutely you know an evolution that we've seen uh, in the industry going past digital into the entire experience and seeking to address the value proposition of the patient of the consumer, of the clinician and um and again, generate results uh, for the organization and in real meaning and value in people's lives,
1: yeah, Amy, where do you see the most interest coming from when? When you're talking to the c-suite so as you know with digital voices we're largely chief digital officers across all of health and life sciences is it coming from chief digital officers chief patient experience officers who's the typical executive or if there is a typical executive that really is pushing for great design
0: yeah sure you know it varies um from organization to organization in in pairs if you can imagine, they actually have it pretty pretty well worked out. I mean, they're still, um, you know, selling a product that very few people understand. And it's, yeah. it's sort of difficult um, to, to build a relationship and to build trust with consumers. But from an organizational perspective, there are adequate budgets put into experience design in the digital front. Um, they're sort of understanding journey mapping and service design and service blueprinting and um, you know, understanding consumer jobs to be done, and, and that's done typically. Um, there is a design group, and that design group or that experience group sometimes reports into digital, sometimes marketing, and sometimes um, uh, technology. Uh, but in any case, they're they're well staffed and well funded to to try to improve uh, member experiences. In life sciences, they're now um, you know marketing has always been present in life sciences. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, there's digital health, digital therapeutics going yeah. beyond the drug and looking at, okay, how do we support patients throughout every aspect of their journey? And, uh, there they've started up, you know, innovation groups, digital health groups, and they're starting to um, gain some headway and, and show the value of applying the rigor scientific discovery that's applied in in drug discovery, applying that same rigor in terms of digital design and service design and experience design. On the health system side, uh, I'm sure you could testify to this. So um, from an experience perspective, Kaiser and and Mayo have service designers. They have folks that are looking at every touch point and, and how do you sort of sort it out and improve experiences digitally and and again from a service perspective, uh, but you know other health systems sort of haven't um, come up to speed. Uh, you know there may be a random designer here or there looking at um, improving digital experiences. There is definitely process improvement, but there there hasn't been this sort of design thinking, human centered design. Um, Evolution or ownership inside the organization. Uh, you might have a doctor or a nurse uh, who's a believer in human-centered design and innovation, but it sort of hasn't taken off. And it's like, okay, we deliver clinical excellence, we save lives, and it's like, yes, absolutely. And you know, we've invested so much money into EMRs, and, and you know, there's stuff on the roadmap for Epic, and it's it's going to solve all the problems. But um, there isn't a group that's looking at, okay, how do we leverage all the resources that we have in place to improve patient and clinician experiences. And how do, we, how do we create a culture that is empowered to solve these challenges in the short term, incrementally, but also look after future forward, longer term, what kind of organization do we want to be like? What kind of relationships do we want to create? What kind of patient and clinician experiences do we want to, and caregiver experiences, do we want to right. manifest? And uh, so there's a big opportunity moving
1: forward. Yeah, Amy, you you just touched on something, too, that's really important to remind ourselves that while we typically focus on the patient, and appropriately so, we can't forget the caregiver experience. And we, we all know prior to the pandemic, you know, there was a lot going on in terms of burnout for caregivers. And with the pandemic, it only, the stress level only got higher. So applying strong design to the caregiver experience is critical as well. So, how, what would you yeah, give clinician as, experience oh, go and, Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I
0: was gonna say, the patient and clinician experience are interconnected, right? If the, the patient's having a bad day and comes in, it's gonna affect what the clinician experience is and, and vice versa, right? They're interconnected. And so, we're yeah. even seeing human-centered design evolve in the direction of relationship-centered design. How do we optimize both together?
1: Yeah, I like that, uh, relationship-centered design. So if I were in the C-suite or maybe I'm a CEO and I've heard about design, I've heard Amy speak, attended the big conference and I'm convinced I need design but I don't yet have that sort of culture or infrastructure. What might be one or two things that you would suggest that someone who, who gets it and wants to make change, what are some steps that they might take in order to bring about, you know, design thinking in their organization.
0: Yeah, sure. First, first is a, a listening tour, right? Listening to patients and clinicians, and inspiring that culture of, of listening and observing amongst um, all of all of the uh, executives and in, in leadership, so that they really know, not just from a data perspective, not just from a measurement perspective, what's going on but have a deep understanding from experiences and from talking, a qualitative understanding of really the current situation, right? So that helps us understand more deeply the problem um, and and the opportunities and what's going well, uh, what we have going for us. The other is to make a commitment to constantly include patients and caregivers in the process of uh, solutioning, decision-making, right? The more that we include and invite to the table of innovation, the people who will be affected by the solutions we create, the better we'll be doing. So essentially, an ongoing commitment to designing with patients and caregivers will buy down risk associated with spending a lot of time and money and. Not seeing the results uh, that we were hoping for, um, and there's also this notion, you know, the more you sort of build this relationship, and, and I see executives have epiphanies when they're observing what's really going on and talking with folks. They're like, "Oh wow," you know, and, and then you know, once the eyes are open, you know, you can't can't close them at that point. So there's <laughs> sort of this this awakening, um, but then you start to see, okay, what what could we what could we create? together collaboratively, right? Because gone is the ivory tower. We are in a collaborative environment where we collaborate across silos. We cre- collaborate outside of our organization. We collaborate with the people we're serving, right? Um, and then if we can create a little bit of time for creativity um, and, and principles-based um, uh, decision-making so that we're empowering people to make decisions and, and harness a little bit of creativity in, in what they do uh, so that we can start to envision a better way. Because, you know, let's be honest, we, we have so many problems in health. We really need to figure out what the future might be um, and creating a little bit of uh, time and space and leeway for people to explore that. It's going to give them a lot of joy. It's going to give them a lot of meaning. And, and you know, especially in health systems and, and even just the health industry in general, where, um, we're working so hard and, and burdenment and burnouts and issues. So, to create those moments um, where we can really um, collaborate and leverage uh, creative mind, that's going to be very helpful. There's all sorts of models, methods, and techniques that can be leveraged. Um, and, and we could come in, Mad Powell, as a consultancy, and, and teach them to you, whether it's behavior change design or futures thinking toolkit. Um, Or even leveraging um, public health frameworks or design thinking, human-centered design, innovation methodology. There's all these toolkits. We could come in and train you. But ultimately, it has to be an ongoing uh, cultural commitment uh, to to human centricity.
1: Those are very, very practical steps that anyone can take. So thank you for that. You obviously have been successful doing this a while. And Amy, I was wondering if you might share one or two success stories of some organizations that have undergone such a cultural transformation and embraced design thinking or relationship-centered design and really made a difference in their outcomes. So I know you work across health and life sciences and finance. So any any couple examples that you might share?
0: Yeah, absolutely. My 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 favorite Ed is um, Imagine Care, which was uh, an innovation spun out of Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical System. And the hypothesis was, how, how could we bring care outside the walls of the four hospitals, and uh, outside the four walls of the hospital in the places where people live um, 24-7? And this was something that, you know, started four years ago or something like that. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, any organization that set itself up for, Working with patients to manage their conditions in the home um, pre-pandemic was set up for for more success. You know, moving into the pandemic, they were um, you know miles ahead. But this this solution, Imagine Care, really bought, brought value based care to life. It uh, basically had a smartphone device connected to Bluetooth biometric sensing devices, and uh, the patient. Um, you know, top five chronic conditions, diabetes, hypertension, COPD, asthma, um, and even behavioral health uh, pathways um, could take their measures. Uh, there was a digital health coach as well um, for, for daily sort of um, motivation, and they could secure connect to a clinician monitoring this population 24-7. Um, and so If someone stepped on a scale as a congestive heart failure patient and their weight had spiked, they would get a phone call within two minutes of taking that measure. So it's closed-loop monitoring. And what happened was, your patients uh, in this uh, solution, they reported feeling like they were no longer alone. Somebody had their back, Uh, 20% uh, cost reduction in managing this uh, patient population. And 95% 95% satisfaction rating, avoided visits to the, to the ER, improved um, you know, blood pressure, improved health outcomes. And so it really sort of brought to life everything that we knew was possible. Uh, and it was just a, a phenomenal um, solution that we developed from scratch based on you know, solid research and took all the way into, um, into pilot and beyond.
1: Yeah, that's a great example. You know, as we both would agree, it's just doing the right thing. Uh, but it is an example of how design really has very favorable outcomes. You know, so if you're looking at it from a ROI point of view, uh, not only is it the right thing, but it, you get the outcomes that we just uh, they just shared with us. And Amy, I recall I don't re- remember the specific client, but I know on the payer side too. You all have introduced some some very positive uh, design thinking capabilities, and as a result, some, I, I don't know if it was smoking cessation or or what the example was, but I know on the payer side, too, you've made a huge impact.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, we work with uh, all five of the um, top five national payers, as well as um over half of the blues and um, many regional insurers as well, um, there's just so much work to be done. And it, it's on two sides of the same coin, right? On one side, you have the fact that the health system is really hard to navigate. It's hard to find the right uh, doctor, make a decision around treatment, understand the costs associated, um, make an appointment, you know, all these sort of administrative things, quote unquote, associated with, um, you know, getting your health care needs met. Um, So we improve those types of experiences with insurers, we're looking at improving member experiences, helping people understand their plan, help help them to wayfind, help them to find the best care. And then the other side, you have health outcomes improvement. Um, So looking at how do we um, help people to improve their lifestyle behaviors in the direction of prevention and reducing risk, how do we reverse disease? Uh, How do we help people to manage their disease and and build towards self-efficacy and condition management? And so for that, we leverage uh, what we call behavior change design. And so this is the blend of behavior science, motivational psychology, and human-centered design uh, to take an evidence-based approach to design and leverage um, all the, the research that has been done. And um, conduct hypotheses, uh, you know construct hypotheses, test and learn and um, basically focus have a laser focus on improved outcomes and the important part about that is psychology. Um, there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction in terms of how do we how do we accomplish how do we help people with medication adherence? how do we help people to, change their behaviors? How do we help people to better manage their condition? And people are, you know, human beings are complicated um, and we need to understand psychology and integrate what we know about psychology and behavior science into the solutions we're creating because rewards and incentives and the carrot or the stick, you know, doesn't always work. And there are many, many things that work better. And so we're, right. we're helping insurers really do a, a better job in that regard.
1: No, that's awesome. So, we talked a little bit of theory. We went and talked practical things. You gave uh, four or five points of what anyone could do that had an interest in design thinking and bringing that to their organization. Then, you shared some excellent examples of the outcomes that others have achieved as a result. Amy, what did we miss? So, we just spent 30 minutes talking design and the importance in healthcare and we probably missed something that might be on your heart to share with us so i wanted to leave the last few seconds with you anything that you'd like to share with our audience in closing
0: well i love that question ed and i'm going to use it in, in my own podcast oh <laughs> 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 um, but basically um futures thinking right um you know none of us saw the pandemic coming aside from probably epidemiologists, but um, you know, the the notion that this black swan event can kind of upend our lifestyles um, and what other futures may there be out there? um, Might there be out there? And so futures thinking is sort of the new design thinking. Okay. And futures thinking offers a toolkit that enables us to analyze various signals and trends, happening not just in health, but in other realms and all around the world so that we can start to formulate an idea of what potential futures may exist and consider what we would do, how would we react if we found ourselves in that potential future. We can also look at unanticipated consequences, unintended consequences and look at, okay, how do our values or ideals, our desire for impact um, what happens when we bump those things like, up against these potential futures? But what I like most about it is that we can we can envision a preferred future. What does a future look like where we're achieving that that virtuous circle yeah. between what real people want in their lives and what a business is trying to achieve and and create these cycles that lift everybody up? Um, and so through futures thinking, we can start to do that and then figure out, all right, how do we roadmap and get there?
1: That's awesome. What a great close. Amy, thank you again for being our guest. Talking about design, very intriguing. And I know people can find you at MadPow. So thank you. Thank and you so much.
0: Final...
1: This is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. I, I love working with you and MadPow is an amazing organization. So. A reminder for those of you who have a question for me, you can now submit your questions via email in a voice text, send them to our email, which we'll post in the show notes, and we'll answer those live on the next podcast. Thanks, everyone, and talk soon. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT.
0: Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.